So I think it's about during these times of like the focus on efficiency where that is every single narrative. Great. Amazing. Okay. Efficiency is not strategic. Efficiency is a mindset of how you operate and how you think about cost and what you do. But strategy is brand building. And, you know, that's how you grow over time. So if you're in this for a large acquisition or a sale over the next 10 years, the market's going to rebound. Things are going to come back. Sure, maybe things won't get a 50x multiple on their revenue, but it doesn't matter. Brand still plays a huge role. So I believe that in the times where like people are zigging, you zag, and you should probably think about what the balance of investment into brand and efficiency looks like so that you don't cut everything and then say, what happened? Hi, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president of Blast Media, and I will be both your host and your bartender today. I had a great conversation today with Melissa Rosenthal, who is the chief creative officer at ClickUp. Now, ClickUp is structured pretty interestingly. They do not have a CMO. It is the chief creative officer and then a chief revenue officer, both responsible for marketing activity, but one on the brand side that rolls up to Melissa and the other on the demand side, revenue generation all rolls up to the CRO. So we're gonna unpack why that structure works for them as well as how to create a memorable brand. Do you even know if you have one? I'm sure you're listening saying, yeah, my brand's memorable, but is it bro? I don't know. Melissa's gonna unpack this for us, talking about striking a balance between being playful and being a hero, identifying really what is your addressable market and can you create virality among that? And then how do you create a baseline understanding of your awareness? So grab a drink and join me as I speak with Melissa from ClickUp. Hey, Melissa, welcome to SaaS Half Full. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. I am excited to speak with you, but what's really bumming me out is that we did send you a cocktail kit, but it has not yet arrived. It's supposed to arrive today. But it's 11 o'clock a.m. your time, so it sounds like that is okay that it didn't work out and that you're not joining me for a drink right now. I'm sorry that I'm not, but I will have an afternoon Paloma on your behalf. Oh, I love a Paloma. I am doing a cherry pop, truly. It's 2 o'clock here, so it's like a little more acceptable, but still feeling like this is probably the easiest thing I could drink right now. So I will be drinking alone. I'm no stranger to that on this show. Don't you worry. It's all good. Well, we are going to talk today about how to create a memorable brand. And for you listeners, before you hit the snooze button, I know that we've talked about brand a lot. I know that we've talked about the importance of a strong brand. We all get it. We all also wish that CEOs that we work with understood brand a bit more, but we are going to unpack this on more of the how to create a memorable brand, the importance of it, when you need to invest in brand, et cetera. But before we do that, Melissa, I want to give our listeners an understanding of who you are and a little bit on how you got here. How long have you been in SaaS marketing? Is this something that you sort of been your career journey or did you just happen upon it more at a random cadence? Yeah. So I've been in SaaS marketing a little bit over three years. I historically have not been in SaaS. The majority of my career, I was at startups, but I was always really kind of just on to the next challenge. I've never had a linear career, so to speak. I started at a company called BuzzFeed very early on. I was one of the first 10 employees there. Went on to go start a company with my old boss after that called Cheddar. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was a live media news network that we sold. And then I jumped into SaaS. So a very non-linear path from startup to startup to startup. 
But after Cheddar, I was kind of burnt out by media and I really wanted to jump into where I felt there was a lot of green grass in terms of brand building and growth. And that was tech. And I knew that a lot of what I had kind of learned along the way would be perfect to apply to a SaaS brand that was willing to embody that and take that on. So love that. And I do believe, and I'm sure someone will call me out on this, but I do believe that you are our first chief creative officer that we've had on. Most folks that are on who talk about brand, it is either a brand in their title as a brand marketer or it's a more becomes function. So I do believe you're a first chief creative officer, which is we'll have a different take on it. So excited about that. Do also quickly give our listeners a understanding of what ClickUp does. Why does the company exist? Yeah, ClickUp is an all-in-one productivity platform that brings teams and work together in one place. So if you have docs and spreadsheets and chats, everything is now in one platform, which makes working so much easier. I would say I use 50% less of my mind thinking about how to organize and how to communicate with people because it's all set up for me. So, I mean, it is really a dream to be working out of and it just makes your job so much easier because you can actually focus on the work and focus on the collaboration rather than focusing on the processes and the you know organization of that. Love that. Thank you. So before we dive into sort of the how-tos or the whys around creating a memorable brand, I want to dive a little bit into sort of your definition of brand so we can level set and then how the brand team is structured at ClickUp. So let's start with number one, which is how do you define brand? Yeah, brand is everything you see, you touch, you experience, you come across that conforms a touch point in which you are interacting with that company, with that product. So everything from the site to social media, to billboards, to emails, it's everything. It's every line of copy. When you think of it in the full scope of that, it creates a discipline in which you are creating that brand where, you know, everything should feel holistic, should feel cohesive. And that's sort of why it matters so much because you want to be able to, you know, if you're writing up an email, it's like that feels like ClickUp. Oh, that's ClickUp's voice. That's ClickUp's tone. And that should really carry you from an email all the way to a billboard to a Super Bowl commercial when you're ready to do something like that. And how is your brand team structured? So it's a little bit unconventional. Obviously, I'm a chief creative officer, not chief marketing officer. There's not a chief marketing officer at ClickUp. There's a chief growth officer. I'm sure you've spoken to a lot of CMOs in SaaS. I don't believe that there is this unicorn CMO that can equally have the brand view and the brand perspective and the growth perspective. And I think marrying those two things with exceptional leaders and people that understand both equally and separately is the way to go. So that's how we're structured. We have a growth team and we have a brand team and a creative team, which are the same thing. And they are separate, but they work together very closely. So anything that encompasses brand is under me and anything that encompasses growth is under our chief growth officer. Marketing is reporting. It's split. It's both marketing, but brand marketing, demand marketing to me, marketing is flows up to two different people. That is an interesting structure and I'm into it. The complexity of the role and how it just keeps getting harder and harder, which is why 10 years keep getting shorter and shorter. I didn't want to sign up for the role of a CMO in a SaaS company because your average tenure, if you make it, is 18 months. And I just, I knew that that it's an impossible role with impossible expectations. So the structuring it differently allows, you know, the potential for success in a, in a much larger way. Yeah. And when you came to ClickUp, was there an already established brand 
to some extent, which is why I joined, you know, our founder and our CEO is very vibrant. He's very colorful. He's bold. The colors and the color schemes and the logo and the site really did embody that. So I was able to jump on that and extrapolate it and build it out into the ethos of what you feel and see and experience everywhere else. But that's why I was gravitating towards it, because I knew that a brand that already embodied this bold and vibrant look and feel and personality and tone, just inherently in, in the way that everything had already been created with the site and the product and the emails, there were small things that, I, you know, that were humorous. And it was just perfect for me because I felt that all the things that I wanted to build off of that were already the skeleton and the blueprint was laid out there. So it wouldn't be a matter of really convincing because that had already sort of been established. Where do you feel that brand should ultimately live? The brand marketing team, right, flows up to you. But do you feel like it's marketing's responsibility to develop brand or like who really should own that? I mean, I think it depends on how the company is structured. I think, you know, if you do have a CMO, like you should hire either that CMO should be brand focused to some extent, or you should have that person really understand it and hire a very strong brand leader under them. They don't understand brand. Their brand leader is going to have to constantly prove to the CMO that brand is worth investing in. It's not a great relationship and you're going to probably not see that really flourish. I think it just depends on the structure of the company. I think ultimately brand lives at the very top of everything you do. It is the company. It's what the company stands for. It's how that comes out in market. It's every single piece of the company. And the more that you have everyone at the company understand the brand vision, the brand mission, how you look and feel and can describe that, the easier it gets. Because even when you scale to a thousand people, it's so embedded within the culture and within the company itself that the customer service emails feel like the brand. The experience anywhere feels like the brand. The product feels like the brand, you know, small things that are incorporated in the product. So it's not necessarily like everyone needs to be talking at all moments because the brand ethos flows so naturally throughout the entire company. I agree with you where it really needs to live at the top, the CEO, the founder, whoever, they have to be on board with what that true authentic brand is. Because I've had experiences too where there's sort of this external brand and you're like, oh, I feel like I you know, vibe with that. I connect with this brand. And then you're like first touch point with someone that actually works at the company does not match that. And you're like taken aback. It's like, whoa, you know, what I got from your brand was that everything was easy, right? They're all about simplicity. And then I get this conversation, I'm like, this seems really like complicated. Just even in this process, it's not matching. So starting at the top, but then figuring out how to carry that all the way through. It is interesting, though, to me in the conversations that I have with most CMOs is really the number one wish that they have collectively through a lot of different interviews is that they wish their CEO understood the immeasurables and the power of brand because today's buyer, right, that is younger and younger, those decision makers, that's what matters to them is do I feel a connection with this brand? Do I trust this brand? Do I like this brand? So it's like, how are there still, you know, folks at the top that don't understand that? I mean, most marketers that are listening to this conversation are going to be like, yes, we get it, right? We as marketing leaders, we get it. We get the importance of brand. But what you wanted to talk about today is how to create a memorable brand. And it's an interesting conversation because, again, most on this call be like, well, our brand's memorable. Like, I've created it. It's memorable. It's mine. Like, it's memorable. How do you know if you have a memorable brand to even begin with? First, you know, I just think like for someone not to think about brand, even at the top level, you're a CEO of a company, you want to IPO, you want to have an exit. Eventually you want to be acquired, right? 
to think that brand doesn't play a large role in your ability to go public and, you know, that roadshow that you're putting on, that is marketing. That is branding. For investors to take a bet on the company, of course, that's revenue and that's efficiency and that's metrics. It's also brand. It's building a strong brand. Same thing with an acquisition. What makes an acquisition more possible, more exciting? It's building a brand. I mean, Cheddar sold probably 50% because of the brand we had built, because we were everywhere, because everyone knew what we were. So for that to not be top of mind, it seems crazy to me if you want to have an exit eventually. But to build a differentiated, memorable brand, sure, everyone that feels like the brand is their baby, great. And to measure that, it is hard, but it's possible. And I think there's a few ways to start. One, it's to have a baseline understanding of where you sit in your competitor set. Are you a household name holistically? Like maybe that's not the goal. Maybe it's your addressable market isn't the world. But to understand where you sit in relation to your competitors, that is really important. So doing a third-party study and seeing what your aided and unaided awareness is in every market that you want to be in is a good baseline. And when we first did that, we had less than 1% in every market that we wanted to be in compared to our competitors, Monday.com, Atlassian, Asana. You know, they had anywhere between, I would say, 3 and 5% awareness in the largest knowledge worker market. So to have that understanding, it's like, this is where we are and like, this is where we want to be. And if we want to be the 10% by end of the year, like that takes a lot of growth. So how are we going to get there? And then it's putting the, the plan together. So then it's not just doing marketing because you can just do marketing and be regular, but it's standing out. It's taking these risks. It's doing things that will get attention. And as much as I want to say, like, it's not going viral, but it's going viral within your market. It definitely is. It's like, what does virality look like? If everyone within the developer engineering community is talking about a video you created, that's going viral to me. So you know, I think it's it's understanding that and then building that differentiated perspective based on where you want to be and who you're speaking to and how can you stand out? How can you make noise? What's going to make you tag your colleague in something and be like, look at this thing that ClickUp just did. And that's not just white papers. That's not just conferences that have no feeling or no emotion attached to them. It's not just doing the status quo. And I think that a lot of B2B SaaS when I came into it felt like everyone was just doing the status quo for far too long. It definitely has taken the B2B side quite a bit longer to catch up to the marketing to humans side of the house. You know, we have certain expectations around B2C brands and those expectations now are the same for B2B brands. It is still business to human, even though we call it B2B. It is encouraging at least to see more B2B brands starting to adopt more of the B2C mentality and market to real people as real people and start to humanize the brand. I mean, even we've seen this shift in what used to be the old corporate narrative and really what that modern narrative looks like. I mean, it used to be CEO is my spokesperson and I'm talking about my product and my category. And while that can still exist, it's a layer. And now we're seeing ways that brands are differentiating by humanizing their brand and talking about things that don't have to do with their product, leveraging what used to be internal spokespeople to externally talk about what matters. I, as a buyer, want to align, right, with culturally things that I agree with and, you know, voice and tone and organizations and all of that. One thing you had mentioned prior to us hitting record is the importance of storytelling in brand development, creating a memorable brand. I want to unpack that the way that you know, we traditionally think about storytelling is probably different than how you're defining it. We are a PR agency for SaaS companies, so we have an idea of storytelling. But what do you mean when you say you have to have storytelling infused as part of your brand? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's different layers of storytelling. A storytelling for me, in part, is understanding the narratives that you want, a narrative adjacent that you want to own, and being able to create the experience and the conversations around those narratives and have it tie back to your company and your brand in a very organic way. And I think that tells the story of the problems that people are facing in market and the unique perspective on how you do that. So AI, obviously, like we have an AI product. So does everyone. How do we tell that story differently in market and make it humorous, right? Let's talk to the things that people are worried about. They're afraid of, they think are funny. Like let's do all of that as our narrative and our way of storytelling around our product rather than just saying like, you can use AI and click up. Like everyone can say that now. So it's like, how do you differentiate it? So it's owning that narrative. Same thing with just like inefficiency at companies. Like that's a very boring line. Of course, you know, everyone is going to say we solve for inefficiency, but how do we speak to the actual problems? It's the fact that we spend most of our days in meetings because we can't do things async because we don't have the right tools to do them. So how do we make that lighthearted? How do we do storytelling around that? And then to your point, it's like creating these narratives around like, our ICPs are the people that are working with our, in our own organization. So allowing them to be able to take the reins a little bit and talk to the things that they deal with every day. So there are the internal people that are kind of, they have this storytelling around. What are the things you're solving for? Like you're dealing with this just as much as the person that we're going to be trying to sell this to. But then it's also owning the broader narratives in market. And, you know, that's pretty much storytelling cohesively across everything. And it's like, how does our product solve for that? We do that at the top level, but everything else is like drives up to that. Yeah. You mentioned humor a couple of times. That's something that it sounds like it is authentic to click up into the brand, but that might not work for every brand. I would like to think that no matter who you're selling to, everyone has a sense of humor, but that might not be the case. How do you, I guess, figure out from a brand perspective, like what are those authentic elements? Because you had mentioned, you know, personality, humor, storytelling. I agree on the storytelling and personality, but humor might not be it, right? That might not be the vibe. So how do you like uncover what these authentic pillars of your brand are going to be? It really does come from the like, what are you trying to do? Who are you? What are you trying to solve? I do think there is room for humor in certain elements of what you're doing. Even if you are maybe selling cybersecurity, there is room for it. I think not in everything that you do, because we think about ourselves as like the heroic jester, right? Like we can be funny, we can jest, we can talk and like be playful and at the same time still be heroic with what we were trying to do for work. And I think if you can balance those two types of like personas and personalities within your brand, you're able to then lean on one and lean on the other depending upon where it's right to do so. It doesn't need to just be like, we're humorous and that's everything that we do. It can kind of incorporate a lot of different brand types. Yeah. And humor really should work in most industries and most verticals. Uh, I mean, we even have to remind our team, we have a saying that, guys, it's PR, not the ER. Let's relax a little bit. Like it's, this is not that deep. Yeah. We're not in medicine. We're not in pharma. We're selling to people and it's not life or death. So yes, I think there's room for humor in most cases. Yes, I completely agree. And as a, a chief creative officer, obviously there is a, you know, creative encompasses a lot. There's creativity in words, there's creativity in narrative, there's certain you know, visual identity, different visual mediums. How have you been able to figure out what works within the organization? So in terms of the types of content, right? Is it video? Is it long form? Is it short form? 
what types of imagery? Like, how do you develop a visual identity that matches that brand? And how do you know that it's the right one? Yeah, I mean, when I joined, it was because the brand was vibrant and bold and felt that way. And to build upon that felt like this is the route that we're going down. We want to be vibrant and bold and colorful and stand out in a sea of like mostly monochromatic companies that kind of all have this very same visual identity. And that, again, like when you establish that, even visually, you're going to take that and then extrapolate it out to everything else that you're doing. Your videos are vibrant, they're bold, they're eye-catching, even in short form. How does that flow through every single thing that we do? So, I mean, I think your visual identity should match your television ads, your performance ads, your Instagram ads. That all has to feel like cohesive. So I think it starts very much at that at the top. It's like, how would you describe the founder of the company, the mission of the company, the vision of it? What is it supposed to do? What is it supposed to feel like? <laughs> and then take that and weave that into every single thing that you do. Um, simplifying it and like, it's, it sounds very, it's not very simple. It's like over time, Things this feel, of course, we did many things. Some haven't worked. Some have felt very off. Luckily, like, I think when you're very early stage, I came into ClickUp, I think there were 60 people. I tested a lot and I did a lot of things that like we would definitely not do today. And some of the humor was off. It felt like it did not feel like the type of humor we wanted to go into. And we learned that very quickly and we pivoted and no one remembers that, which is great. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like, where do you toe the line? You know, how much can you stand out and what can you do where it's polarizing, but not polarizing too much? Like there's a lot of that and you kind of lean into where it feels right and can continue to go. Can you give me a specific example of when back then when you created something like, what was it where you, you released it and you're like, oh shit, that ain't it. What, like, what, is there one thing that sticks out? Yeah, there is. We were first starting to explore podcasts as a medium for us. And we decided to do a whole set of audio ads. And usually there's like a mix of host records and then you can record, you can do whatever you want. So we were like, all right, let's test the host records with our own narrative recording. We wanted to challenge the convention of hustle porn culture. We kind of did that literally. And we had someone read a very funny line in a very sexy voice. And it was a little too far, I would say. It was a funny thing internally that we laughed at, we thought was hilarious. And then when I heard it as a listener, I was like, oh, I think we went too far here. It was a little bit like, you know, that wake up moment. I was like, I did what I said I hated every time. It was like, I didn't test this with the world. So a lot of what we started doing was we started using, you know, like a software like user testing and just small things to like gauge like sentiment. Like not that we really 100% would take all of those opinions and make a decision off of that. Gauge early sentiment and know like if you're really towing the line a little bit too much, it's a good barometer of just like what you're putting out into the world. So I would say like I laugh at myself that I did that without doing that external research first. I can't tell you how many times I've said that while I like look at the person next to me, I'm like, so you mean to tell me what I just saw or watched or listened to, that that went through an entire room full of people and everyone said that. And they all loved it because it's all their idea. It's just like you have to avoid groupthink, you know? And I think that's what happens. It's like you get attached to an idea and people at the top get attached to an idea and then all of a sudden that becomes the idea. And, you know, you don't externally do any any surveying and then it goes into the world and it's like what is this i mean we've seen that with the you know some commercials which have crashed and burned and it's like how did this go 
You know, it's like, this is a huge company. So for sure. You had mentioned to know if you have a memorable brand, you had said a brand lift survey. We talked about this in other episodes. Well, it's doing aided, unaided. Since brand all falls under you. I mean, usually I'm talking to someone who's, you know, brand and demand. So this is interesting, hopefully interesting conversation point. Do you have a brand dashboard? How are you being measured as a chief creative officer, right? Like every quarter, I'm sure you have your, you know, objectives or KPIs or whatever OKR framework you use, but how are you measuring the effectiveness or the success of your job in the brand team? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, I'm sure you'll hear this from any sort of brand leader. It's harder than the other side and it's not dollar for dollar, but it is running these surveys quite consistently. We were running them quarterly for a long time as we ramped up. So if you're scaling up your investment in a large way, you're going to be running these quarterly. Outside of that, you know, there are tools out there, brand watch and things where you can measure yourself compared to your competitors in real time and actually measure like, you know, mentions and sentiment and X, Y, and Z. I mean, there's a lot or it's the individual thing that you're doing. So we put on our largest user conference last February and, you know, we put, I can't tell you how many man hours went into this and it was like everything. It was the filming, the production the experience, the user experience, like everything. And we ended up trending on Twitter. And like, that was a really big moment for the company. We'd never trended on Twitter before. We were always envious of the Figmas who could naturally trend on Twitter just because they're their community. And we had pulled that off. And all of the trends, the sentiment was 99% positive. Same thing with our Super Bowl ad. You know, there's a ton of ways to measure. So there's, I think, like the holistic way of measuring brand. And then there's the individual activities and activations that you're doing and how you measure those independently. And then everything is holistic, right? That all ties into the top level of how you're measuring too. So that's how I look at it. And yeah, again, it's tough. It's not dollar for dollar. You can argue that there are things that influence it. But at the end of the day, like, the idea that the buyer journey is a click on YouTube and that's like how people buy is, I think, for a product like ours and other B2B SaaS companies, like very unrealistic. You know, it's going to be two to three to four touch points. It's going to be word of mouth. It's going to be seeing something. It's going to be experiencing something. And then maybe it's a YouTube ad. Maybe it's not. So understanding that buyer journey is just not accurate and the attribution is going to always be off. Brand plays a large role in many of those touch points before you get to that stage. And are you using a specific vendor for your brand surveys? Yeah, we were using Momentive for a while to run those quarterly studies. But there's, you know, there's automated tools now like GoTrackSuit and BrandWatch. And there's a million of them where you can track sentiment, you can track brand awareness in many, many ways across many platforms and channels. Okay, that's helpful. Is there... Anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure that we tackle in this conversation? I think one good thing to cover would be the fact that, you know, the narrative has shifted. Money was free when I joined and a lot of other companies experienced that as well. Many of them no longer exist. You know, companies that were valued at $10 billion, they don't even exist anymore. And I think that there's obviously a fear of that. And then there's a fear of investment it's kind of like everything is cyclical. And we've seen this so many times before, right? Like, you know, the Fed raises rates, there's a fear of recession, everyone pulls back everything. And then it just reverts back in a couple of months. Oh, the markets look good. Uh, things are coming back. Companies are IPOing. go, 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 go. And then you've lost months and months and months of it making any sort of investment into brand and into growth because you've been so fearful of it. So I think it's about during these times of like the focus on efficiency where 
That is every single narrative. Great. Amazing. Okay. Efficiency is not strategic. Efficiency is a mindset of how you operate and how you think about cost and what you do. But strategy is brand building. And, you know, that's how you grow over time. So if you're in this for a large acquisition or a sale over the next 10 years, the market's going to rebound. Things are going to come back. Sure, maybe things won't get a 50x multiple on their revenue, but it doesn't matter. Brand still plays a huge role. So I believe that in the times where like people are zigging, you zag, and you should probably think about what the balance of investment into brand and efficiency looks like so that you don't cut everything and then say, what happened? What happened? We, we lost all of this and then the market rebounds. So I think there's just like the economic fears drive people to make decisions that later impact them that you should probably wait a bit. Well, right. And I'm not going to get this correct, but there was like a, it was a TechCrunch story at the end of last year that was tackling a report that came out that basically examined all the tech companies who had cut both people and marketing dollars, basically all revenue generating, you know, functions and spend that had reduced that. And they were no further ahead than the companies that kept business as usual. It was just like completely backs up your point that it is very short-sighted. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, listen, we had a huge billboard budget when we first started. Now, did that help us? Did that help us to where we are now? So that like, it doesn't matter if we do billboards right now. Yeah, of course it did. I'm not saying like spend $20 million on billboards when everything is focused on efficiency, but I'm saying don't get rid of everything that you're doing. Like that is just not the strategy. No, brand is not something you can just turn off and turn on, then turn off, then turn back on again, right? It just doesn't work that way. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you for... Our listeners who have listened all the way to the end of this episode, thank you. I like to ask our guests one final question, which I call one more drink, which is what do you wish that more CEOs understood about marketing? I feel like marketing is really not understood and it's not magic and it doesn't happen overnight. And it takes a lot of small strategic decisions to get to where you are. It's not something that just happens. I think like sometimes CEOs expect these incredible, huge results in a month. And it's like, that's just not the way it works. I mean, think about everything that goes into building that people become to recognize and talk about. Like those are all a ton of decisions, a ton of small to medium investments that are continuous and that happen in a cycle that evolve into what you see today. Because everyone's like, I want a brand like this. I want a brand like this. I want a brand like this. And it's like, okay, great. It's like they point to a brand and it's like, let's do that. And like, I have a lot of people that I'll have calls with and they say, they're like, so how do I create ClickUp? Because my CEO just came to me and said, like, I want a brand like ClickUp. And I'm like, I laugh and I'm like, oh God, I'm glad I'm like not on that end of the, you know, it's like, because that took three years to get to where we are. And is that even authentic to your brand? Yeah, it was three years of building and a ton of work and a ton of investment and a ton of people and a ton of everything. So there's not a magic bullet for it. That's what I wish people would understand more. I love that. Well, I know that you are not joining me for a cocktail. I did see a Starbucks cup. Do you have a favorite or a signature toast to send us out? I would say everything is possible. Don't be afraid to innovate, to be bold, to take risks, and to think differently. That's what will set you apart. Even if it's hard, even if it's painful, it will be the most rewarding thing. Love that. Cheers. Thank you so much, Melissa, for joining me. I appreciate the conversation. Wonderful conversation. Great to be on. Thank you. 
Thanks again to Melissa for joining me on SAS Half Full. Y'all know I could talk about brand till the day is long. She is speaking my language. Interesting take on the marketing organist structure with the chief creative officer and the chief revenue officer. I'll be curious to see if that is the way forward as that CMO role continues to get more challenging and the tenures continue to get shorter. Well, I always appreciate the listen, everyone. And until next time, bottoms up.